All right, again, I want to thank you for being here and being in your place on Christmas Eve Sunday. I won't be long this morning. I know you probably got things to do, and I'd love for you to be back tonight. Uh, really, it is one of our favorite services of the year. And again, we're not long. Our family, we usually do something together afterwards, and I know you meet with your family, so it won't be long, but I hope you'll be here. We got a lot of music planned, <coughs> and, um, and so it's going to be a great service. We're going to be looking at Romans here for a minute, <coughs> but it is Christmas, time, Christmas uh, tomorrow, and most people, that's their favorite time of the year, right? How many of you, that's your favorite time of the year? Okay, and the rest of you are lying. I see the way you dress for these services. You guys have been dressing in the Christmas nonsense for a month now, okay? I don't know what we're going to do for New Year's, so. <clears throat> we like what it represents. We think about Christmas time, people are nicer, and it kind of gives us <clears throat> a break. You probably get some days off from the routine and the nonsense of, of, of what's going on sometimes in our world, and a break from the pressures of life. You hear all the <clears throat> little cliches people use about Christmas, Right? Christmas magic, like as if Christmas is going to magically make all the mistakes we've done and all the nonsense go away. Um, I'm not trying to burst your bubble. Anything is possible at Christmas. You can do anything you want. Then reality slaps you in the head, right? The most wonderful time of the year until you get your credit card bill. You do know you have to pay for this stuff. How many of you know? You know, it's like it's come and do, baby. You know what I'm saying? We know and we enjoy everything, but we all realize that January 2nd rolls around. <clears throat> it's time to go back into the real world. A lot of people don't like to do that. I, I mention every year, every year, there's one of our neighbors. Now, I don't know who it is. Uh, and, and their Christmas tree usually comes out sometime in February. Around February, I'll be going for a quick walk around the block, and I'm like, there's our Christmas tree, February 5th. They're hanging on as long as they possibly can. But, you know, we like everything it does represent. Because what does it represent? Look at verse 4 of, of Romans chapter 15. <clears throat> so, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the spirit, scriptures might have, what's that word? Hope. That's it. We all want to have hope. We all want to believe that there is something better. We want to believe that things, if we're going through trouble, things will get better. That there's a better reason for life. As we get to Romans here in chapter 15, <clears throat> the end of the book, it starts out involving the truths uh, involving relationships one with another. Uh, he talks about those who are weak and struggling, uh, that we are to help them. In verse number one, we are to please others so that we may help build them and edify them in verse three. And then in, in verse two, and then in verse three, he gives Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of this. In verse five or six, he speaks about the unity of believers. It, it is a way uh, we're encouraged to, to have unity as a way of honoring and glorifying our Heavenly Father. But verse 4 is the key, that we might have hope. That through the examples of Scripture, <clears throat> through the truth of Scripture, regardless of everything else that's going on, regardless of everything else that we hear, as we look into the Scripture, 
as we see its truths and we see its examples, we can walk away and we can have hope that they might, that we, through the scriptures, might have hope. Like the hope people feel this time of year. I always say that, that really for Christians, the way that the world or people that don't know Christ feel this time of year is how we ought to feel every single day of the year. Joy should not be, uh, joy and hope should not just be confined to one calendar month a year. By the way, that's why people try to stretch it out. Have you noticed that? Go to Costco in September. It's like, I thought it was September. It's still like 90 degrees outside, and there's Frosty the Snowman inflatable. He's like 40 feet tall. You ever notice the inflatables are getting taller? Somebody in our neighborhood has a Rudolph. And literally, he's taller than their house. And I thought, man, I need to get one of those for our house. Okay, but I'll get the guy I like the most, the Grinch. That's who I kind of connect with. Him and I are good buddies. But I mean, after he got saved, not before, okay? <coughs> but why do they do that? Because they like what it offers. <clears throat> it offers them hope in the midst of all that's going on. Well, why can we have hope? We can access hope on a greater level to a greater extent all the time, but why? Um, look at verse 13, <clears throat> the first four words. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me, now the God of hope. You see, the reason we can have a hope that isn't packed up in a box and put into the garage in January <clears throat> until next year is because of God. Because our hope isn't built on getting some time off of work. Our hope isn't built on <clears throat> spending time with the family, although some people are like, hey, that's not hope. That's, you know, chaos. Uh, it's, it's, it's built on something a little stronger. It is built on God. Amen. There is a God of hope, and we can tie into that. And the hope that God offers is something that lasts. But not only that, I want you to notice something. Look at verse 13. <clears throat> I'm going somewhere, and then we'll, we'll, we'll give you some thoughts and tie a package on this, a bow on this package. <clears throat> Verse 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Look at verse 24. <clears throat> and uh, whatsoever, I, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come unto you. Uh, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I may be somewhat filled with your company. You see, God doesn't just want us to have hope and other qualities. Now listen to this. God wants us to be filled with them. Huge difference. Listen to the key words that we read. He wants to fill you. Abound. Abound means more than just enough. You're filled with it. Full of. Filled. Filled with. Do you understand that? See, 
Here's what we do as Christians. We take the things that God wants us to have that would really give us the life we're seeking, but we don't know how to get there. And God doesn't just want us to have a little bit of it. God wants us to be filled with it. God wants us to be abounding in it. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they ha might have it more abundant. Listen, God doesn't want us just to have a little. God wants us to have a lot. God doesn't want us just to be running close to empty. God wants us to be filled. See, most Christians live like, I don't drive their cars anymore, like when I had all my kids live at home and they drive our cars. They drove them down to empty. And if I had to ever drive their car, it's like, do you guys know what a gas station is? Right? I remember I got in, the, we used to have a, 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 not Ford, one of the Ford companies, <coughs> Mercury. My bad, I didn't know that was Ford. And we, we bought one of them, and I got in the car. It was the only car left at the house, and I had to go somewhere. And I got in the car, and it looked at the gas cage, and it says, you have one mile to empty. And I thought, look, you know, they're always, you know, they're going to be lying to you here, right? I can make it to the gas station. It, it's like two miles away. Well, four blocks later, I found out that the, ga the gas gauge don't lie. I'm like, so I started calling my family. Who was the last one to drive this car? You know, I'm not happy when I'm walking, right? So, but, but that's how we run our lives. We want our Christian lives as close to being at the bottom when God says, I want you to be full. But full of what? Let me show you some thoughts. Look at verse 13. <coughs> now the God of hope fill you with all joy. Isn't that what people want? Don't people want to be joyous? Don't people want a, a life that they can look at and say, man, it's not perfect, it's not easy, there's difficulties we have to go through, but I want to have joy. You can call it happiness, and I'm not going to, you know, it's happenings and all that. I, I get what you're saying there. But you understand what I'm saying. God wants us to be full of joy. That, first, that your joy might be full. Jesus said that so often. John wrote that in his epistles so often. He wants us to have joy. Amen. See, some people struggle with that because of things that have happened to them in their life. Let me help you with that. Quit looking back at negatives in your life and using them as an excuse to not have joy. Why are we going to take ourselves, take ourselves and anchor our lives to the things of the past that can't be changed when God says, you've been changed, you're in Christ, you can be full. Maybe you didn't have the ideal family situation. Come on, uh, the other night, <coughs> a couple weeks ago, <coughs> my wife and I, we go out, <coughs> we try to go out regularly, and we went out to dinner, and usually we just go out, we hang out, whatever. I don't know why, for some reason we were talking about our families and our past. And, um, and, 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 and we were thinking, I was thinking about it. You know, I grew up in a, in a single parent family. My mom and my dad split when I was four. And, and, and I really didn't have much, I didn't, I'm not, I didn't have a bad relationship, but I didn't have a lot of relationship with my dad. And I understood that. That just comes with the territory. But I've seen so many people that will use that. I think of things I got into in my life, and I don't talk about it a lot, because, but I mean, I was into drugs when I was in junior high. And, 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 and I didn't have a dad at home. You know, you, you, we don't like discipline, but man, if I had a dad at home that's like, you come home like that, my, my right foot's going up against your rear end. And I can look back and like, well, look, you know, I didn't have this, or I didn't have, why am I going to be anchored? 
I had the past that God knew I would have. My parents did the best they could. And I was a handful. But, but we look back, well, you know, if I, I so we come into our families, well, you know, that's just the kind of husband I am because that's how my dad was with my mom. That's just kind of the, you know, the father I am because I, I, didn't see, I didn't see that example in my life. Well, can I just tell you something? I don't look for those because my parents did the best they could. This is my example. And this example says, you are a new person in Christ. You can be everything I want you to be, and you can have joy in life. Don't allow yourself to have less than God wants you to have. I don't want to pack up everything on January 2nd and say, I'm going to be miserable until December of next year. doesn't have to be that way. I heard someone say this one time, and I'll move on. <coughs> if you do not have joy in your life, it could be a sign from God that there is something in your life that isn't right. That's absolutely true. That could be God's signal, like, hey, Steve, step out of it. The reason you don't have joy is because you got to take care of this situation in your life. And so God doesn't want us just to have a little. <coughs> God wants us to have a lot. Look at verse 13 continuing. <coughs> and peace in believing. God wants us to have peace. Right? You know, the word peace means like rest from war. Peace between individuals. Security. And it also has a connotation of peace of a soul because of salvation. You say, what does it have to do with war? Because before we were saved, we were at enmity with God because we're sinners. And Jesus Christ came to reconcile us to God. Amen. What's reconciliation? You're taking two factions that are contrary to each other, and you're bringing them together. Christ brought us closer to God because he took that thing that was between us and God's sin, and he paid for it and took it upon himself. Do you know we can have peace in our life? Most people don't get that. We go around from relationship to relationship, and we struggle. And by the way, there's a reason we struggle in our relationships. Are you ready? We're sinners. We're selfish. I didn't say you're selfish. I said we're selfish. We want what we want. That's, I would be a knucklehead. If I wasn't saved, John, I'd probably have a lot more issues in my life than I have. Because I still struggle with it. But God wants us to have peace. And it starts with salvation and that peace we have with God, and then it transfers into every other relationship in our life. I joke about it, you know, you're going to have your family together. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's like that's the only time of the year you get together. And you and Uncle Bill, who don't get along, you, now I probably there's someone here, their Uncle Bill's coming. So, uh, you know, white people were the minority here, so Bill's not a really popular name, so I'll go with Bill. You know, and Uncle Bill and you don't get along very well, but at Christmas, you kind of, I hate to say it, smoke the peace pipe. You know, for, for the next two hours, we'll be fine with each other. But what about the rest of the year? God wants us to have our good relationships with everybody. Say, but pastor, you don't know some people. They're a struggle. Oh, I do. I'm a pastor. I know everybody. And there's some people that probably look at me and like, you know, I know him. He's a struggle. Okay. 
We have personality differences. And you say, but pastor, I'm trying to have peace with this person, and they don't want to have peace with me. That's on them. Don't let it be on you. You always keep that door open and you treat them with kindness. But they don't deserve kindness and love. Neither did you before Jesus Christ saved you. Neither did I before Jesus Christ saved me. And sometimes it's not about how they're going to react. It's about how I should react. Well, they're mean-spirited. I know. So am I sometimes. Say, Pastor, you are? Don't talk to my family. They'll tell you. But there's a peace that comes. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. I'll move on. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. And I like this little phrase. It's John 14, 27. Not as the world giveth. You know how the world giveth? Here's how the world gives. I'm good with you as long as you're good with me. But the second you're not good with me, I am not good with you. That's a really bad way to live. You know what? Blessed are the peacemakers. Why don't you be the one? Why don't you just be the one to say, I'm not going to have any ill will towards anybody. I've had people come into me in <coughs> all different types of relationships. You talk, Mary did about this, and I'm like, look, if the situation goes completely sideways, just make sure it's not on you. You should be able to stand there with a clear conscience and say, I'm doing everything I can to be the right kind of person towards this individual, and if it doesn't work, I'm still here. But peace. We all want peace. And by the way, <coughs> Sometimes we think peace means that the absence of stuff, right? That's not peace. That's like tranquility. Peace is when everything around you is going, you know, yeah, like, you know, like for us, that's just our family, right? When you have a thousand people in your family and they're mostly at your house, that's just how it is, okay? It's not a lot of quietness. But it's like, that doesn't mean there's no peace, and so let's have a peace. And not just a little bit of it. God wants us to be filled with it. We better hurry. <clears throat> we also need to be filled with faith. Look at verse 13. Continue. That ye may abound in hope. Now, what is hope? Hope is tied to faith. Because when we're talking about hope, it's not like you and your football team. You know, I hope my team wins today. Well, I got news for you. Your team stinks. How do you know? I got one. I, I, I believe I like the Chargers. You say, Pastor, why do you like the Chargers? I just love pain. <laughs> we, we had the game on at our house last night. If you're a Charger fan, you know this is true. And it's like they were up with like a minute left. I'm like, they're going to charge her right away. It's what they do. And guess what they did? They charged it away. Okay? That's just what they do. But that hope is kind of like, I'm crossing my fingers and I want it to happen. Do you know that's not Bible hope? Bible hope is a rock-solid faith in what God has promised will happen in the future. See, I have the hope of heaven. What does that mean? I mean, when I die, I'm crossing my fingers, I make it. No, 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 no. I know based on Scripture I'm going there. I have faith in Christ. My hope is it's not here right now, but when I die, I'm there. And God wants us to have that hope. And it takes faith in God to have that kind of hope. Because you have to believe that what God said, he actually meant. What God said will actually happen. That takes faith. You say, is faith important to God? Well, let me just give you a couple thoughts and we'll move on. He told us that the just are to live by faith. He also told us that without faith, we can't please God. And then, here's the topper. Anything we do without faith, are you ready? 
He said it's sin. So put those three thoughts together, and here's what I see. Faith's a big deal to God. Not a big, big deal to me. Not just a little. God wants us to have full faith. Verse 13 again. <clears throat> Through, how do we do that? Through the power of the Holy Ghost. God wants us to be filled with the Spirit. The Bible makes it, look, <clears throat> let me just <clears throat> help us. The Bible makes it clear that there are things God expects of us. You ready? He expects us to live like a Christian. He expects us to serve him like a Christian. He expects us to love like a Christian. He expects us to give and sacrifice in different ways like a Christian. And he expects us to be committed like a Christian. Here's the problem with all those. Those are super hard. Right? You're supposed to love people. We mentioned sometimes it's hard. If you're a husband, here's what Christ said. This is an outcher. You're supposed to love him as, love your spouse, not him. You're supposed to love your spouse as Christ loved the church. Okay, I just, I, I, it, that, wow. It's a big deal. But how are we supposed to do all these things? He told us we're supposed to be, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> See, God's Spirit wants to fill us. <clears throat> and as God's Spirit fills us, fills us, it allows us to do all those things that on a strictly human level could be hard for us to do. But there are several reasons why we are not filled with the Spirit. Sometimes we're not yielded to Him. Yield means <clears throat> I'm going to allow the Spirit to dictate my life. He won't fight you. If you want to fight Him and say, I want to do my own thing, I have to yield and say, you know, in this situation, I'm upset. I want to do this, but I'm going to yield to the Spirit and do what God wants me to do in this situation. Sometimes we've quenched him. The Bible talks about that. What is quench? Think of it as a fire. When you have a fire, what do you do? You quench it. You put it out. The Spirit wants to work in our life, and by the way we're acting, by our neglect of him, we're pushing him down until eventually we can't hear him anymore. We have not sought him. But here's the biggest reason we're not filled with the Spirit. Could it be that we're filled with things that would keep the Spirit from filling us? Right? I mean, here's something my mom always told us. You know, you come in at 5 o'clock and like, hey, I want a snack. And she would say no. Anybody want to guess the reason? Because it will ruin your dinner. It's like, listen, you, you say, my kid won't eat their vegetables, their meat, or dinner. I know, because you're stuffing them full of Twinkies an hour before dinner. Man, if, I have, if you're stuffing me with Twinkies an hour before dinner, as much as I love steak, I'm not going to want it. I'm full. And we're so full of other things that the Spirit of God is not very appealing to us. And so we need to be very careful. God says, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. Because if we're filled with the Spirit, some of the things we struggle with would be so much easier. Next, verse 14. <clears throat> he says, and I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness. Goodness is just an internal attitude that allows us to display it in our external actions. You know, we say that, you know, that, we say, you know, that's just a good person. Now, when we say that, what are we saying? They do good things. They're, everything they do outward, we can look at it and say, that's good. Now, none of us will be perfect at this. But the fact of the matter is, because we are Christians, the fact of the matter is, if we're full of these other things, we will do good things. 
So you say, well, pastor, how do I know if I'm being good? What do other people think of you? <coughs> okay? And I know sometimes you're a Christian and people just aren't going to like you because you're a Christian. But it ought not to be because you're giving them ammo. I tell me, I've worked in enough places. From Bible college on, every place I worked, always like up front, I tried to let everybody there know I'm a Christian. I didn't jump on the table, you know, but like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And every place I worked, Raul, they would come to me and say, hey, that guy over there, he says he's a Christian too, and he does this, this, and this. Like, I'm the Pope. Like, what are you, what are you telling me for? But you know what they were saying? This guy's saying one thing, and I can't believe what he's saying because of what he's doing. But I remember I was, I was work. I wanted, I want to get, the, you won't believe this, but it, it's true. I, I was trying to get a job at a warehouse when we first moved back here. And um, it was just hard work, just throwing boxes and all this stuff. You're not going to believe this. They liked me, but they were struggling to hire me because, are you ready? I was too small. I was too thin. I don't have that problem anymore. And so they interviewed me like three times because they really like me. And they're like, the last time they brought me in for an interview and, and um, I was in the, 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 they brought me into the guy that ran the warehouse. So I, cause I'd have to, he'd have to deal with me and we're sitting in his office and there's a glass and he's looking out there. He goes, and it was a friend of mine, Johnny. He goes, he just pointed to him cause he happened to be working out in front of the window. He goes, you're Johnny's friend, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, you know what? He goes, it's hard work here. It's hard to have a, a good attitude. Johnny comes to work every day. He works hard. He has a good attitude. If you're his friend, I'll give you a chance. You know what he was saying about Johnny? He's good. He backs up what he says. That's how we should be. Moving on, we, it also, we should be filled with knowledge. Verse 14. And I'll, I'll, I'll be done here. I have several others, but I'll back away from it. What does that knowledge mean? <clears throat> Literally, the word knowledge means a general knowledge of spiritual things. You know, one of the gods of our society, and I'm not picking at you this morning, it's Christmas, we'll have a good time. But one of the gods of our society is education. <clears throat> Colleges used to be called institution of, of, of higher learning. You know what they are now, to be real honest with you? They're institutions of lower living. Let's just be honest. They're being taught garbage. They can't even understand that terrorism is not good. They can't. They can't understand that killing unborn children is not good. They have positions on things that if you were to ask them about it, they couldn't even back it up with facts or anything. They just heard it from somebody. You see, the, the, the issue is in education. I'm not against education. It's what you're learning. You, your education is only good as what you're being taught. And, and most people know more about things that, and, and there's nothing wrong with knowing things, okay? I'm not saying that. But most people know more about things that aren't that important than they do about what's really important, spirituality. And then they come to you and say, you know, I just can't understand the Bible. I just don't understand spirituality. But if I found out that thing that was important to them in life, I guarantee you they would give me all the knowledge that I need. So our problem is not that we can't learn knowledge. Our problem is, what do we desire to know? Yeah. I, know I knew nothing about the Bible. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up on the, doing whatever. But when I got right with God, and I decided I wanted to be a, live like a Christian as an 18-year-old, I couldn't get enough of the Bible. I'm like, I'm going to catch up. 
I'd only been to church maybe five times my whole life. And I'm like, I'm catching up. And I just went at it. And I'm no different than anybody else. But he wants us not just to know a little about Christianity. He wants us to know a lot about Christianity. He wants us to learn, and I'll stop there. Here's the point. <clears throat> the things that are really important in life, these things that we have mentioned, these are the things that ought to fill our life. These are things that make our life exciting all year round. I'm not just happy in December. And by the way, I enjoy it all. We do all the family stuff. Uh, we do all the things. I take days off. We do all of that stuff. All of it. And I love it to the max. But I also love January. I love February. I love March. There's probably one of the months I don't like. Uh, the one that's the hottest. I just, but I, I, I'm just as excited about my family in September as I am in December. Okay, October we struggle. But the point is, we can have it all year long. And not just a little. God says, but how do you get filled with all of this stuff? Here, here it is, and I'm done. You have to go for it 100%. It doesn't work. Christianity was never designed for you to just say, give me 10%. You got to want all of God. And you got to say, God, if that's what you want me to have, I'm in. Give it to me. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for a minute, if we may. Let us think about this for a minute, and then we'll pray. <clears throat> How's your Christianity? Do you, do you have a fullness in Christianity? Do you, do you want everything that God wants for you? Or are you okay with just, you know, touching base with God every now and then, right? I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person, if I'm going for something, I want to go for it a thousand percent. I don't want to just, I'm not going to just do it a little. If you give me a task that I have to do, I've worked here over the years, pastors given me, when I, before I was a pastor, he gave me all these different jobs. Some of them, to be honest with you, I didn't want to do them. But if he gave it to me, I was going to do it to the best of my, I was going to go all in. Can we do that with our, you say, pastor, I'm not that kind of all-in type of person. I kind of hold back. Let me talk to you for about 30 minutes. I will find the area of your life that's important to you where you are all in. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. God wants to bless us abundantly, but we have to want what he wants to give us. Really, if I were to boil it down and say, how do I know I'm doing in all these areas? Just go back to the first one. Do you have joy in life? I mean, do you, you know, people always talk, someone dies, and it's like, they love life, whatever that means. But are you excited about your life? Will you be as excited on, you know, on Monday as you are on a Friday? You can. That relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me ask this before I have you stand. If you're here this morning and maybe you're newer, thank you for being here. The key to having that fullness that God wants us to have is this. We need to be his child. We need to be saved. We need to have salvation. Here's the question. I want you to ponder this for a second. If you were to die today, are you 100% for sure that if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? Or do you have any doubt? Because when a person is saved, they have a fullness of assurance. 
you'll know it and you'll know why. If you're here this morning with nobody looking around, you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not for sure that if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. I have some doubt. Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you just lift your hand up really, really quick and I'll acknowledge it and I'll pray for you. Anybody like that at all? Okay. Let's stand together if we may. Maybe you lack fullness in some of these areas. And maybe you say, Lord, or maybe you just want to continue to have it. If God spoke to you at all during the message, why don't you come? The altar's open.